RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. So I've been counting the minutes since last Tuesday. And here it is, 10,020 minutes later, and we are back. It's Mission Log Live. I'm John Champion. And I'm Ken Ray. Really quick question. Did you subtract the 60 minutes for when we ended the show last week versus when we started? I did, because otherwise it would have been 10,080 minutes. Man alive, you're good. Hey, Tuesday night, 7 p.m. Pacific, 10 p.m. Eastern. It is time to spend time with your Star Trek pals talking Discovery. This week, it is the sixth episode of Star Trek Discovery's second season, The Sounds of Thunder. Joining us this week, it is you. Time for your questions and your comments. Plus, we have a tease of an interview we did earlier with Discovery's costume designer, Gersha Phillips. Lots of information there. We talked pretty in-depth about her background, plus her approach to designing for the future. Uh, Today, you get just a little taste of that interview, and then we'll tell you how to find the rest of it coming up. In the meantime, do you have questions? Do you have thoughts about the sounds of thunder that you would like to share? Well, sure. Join our Zoom meeting. Use the one tap from your smartphone or call 669-900-6833, 669-900-6833, uh, which, of course, is free when you call from work. Hey, uh, incidentally, Ken, the Sounds of Thunder, originally written as a Paul Stanley song, but made famous uh, when Gene Simmons recorded it on Destroyer. See, for me, it's a combination of uh, it's between really quickly, by the way, I know people listening on audio don't care about this, but I'm watching our video and it's just black on Facebook. It is blacker than oh, oh it's no, like no, the cover I, of the Spinal Tap album. How much more black? No, uh, it, yeah. we're good. We're good. I'm, I'm watching it and yeah. uh, I'm watching you talk to me and I'm watching the, the caller number and I'm watching all the people say hello and all no. people like uh, James Young, uh, not the guy from Sticks. I don't think but that would that'd be cool if that were that James Young saying <laughs> hi to us. Uh, Chris Riker, Barry Rice. Hey, buddy. Uh, Carlos, Scott Palm. Hey, man. All of our friends out there, Paul, David, uh, Debbie, Casey, even Casey is there already calling out John Cooley because that's, that's, that's how they do. Uh, we've got Aaron, we got Cindy, we got Chuck, we got Narda. It's, it's like all our old friends back to join us tonight for another round of Mission Log Live. So thank you, everybody, of course, for watching us here live on Facebook. Or if you catch that video later at YouTube.com slash Roddenberry Prod, that's cool, too. Or certainly you can catch us on that audio only podcast. Well, we welcome you there, too. Wherever you find us, please like hit, please hit share and please let the world know that we'd like everyone to join us here on Tuesdays to talk Trek. Hey, let's talk about some stuff that we have coming up. Uh, One week from two days from now, that would be Thursday, March 7th in Sansar. We've got some rare classic interviews with Gene Roddenberry. Uh, Rod's going to be around to screen those in the Roddenberry Theater and, uh, you know, uh, talk about what we see and what we hear. So here's what you do. You sign up for your free account at sansar.com. Uh, it doesn't cost anything. That's why they call it a free account. You will want to do it before that night, though, because you make an avatar for yourself so that it looks like you're in the virtual room virtually with us. You don't need the VR rig, by the way. It's fun if you have the VR rig because then it really is like being in a completely different space. But as long as you've got a PC that runs Windows 7 or later, you can actually be there and you know you can hear and you can participate and that'd be great. 
So sansar.com is the place to go to sign up for your free account. Do that before next Thursday night, because uh, Thursday, March 7th, it's the second event in the Roddenberry Theater. And we'd love to have you join us. Hey, uh, by the way, clarification on Facebook. James Young says, no, I was not in sticks. I wish I get that. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. Uh, Jocelyn chiming in and uh, Keith. Keith says, I've been listening to you guys for nearly a decade. So pretty much old friends. Yeah. Nearly a decade. Well, you think about where we're over the half decade mark. Yeah, we are. Yeah, we're into we're like into uh, the six and six and a half years. I think we decided actually you mentioned on something else that we were recording earlier today that we just had our our, you and I just had our Facebook anniversary. Is that Yeah, isn't that sweet? It's weird. Yeah. Seven years, <laughs> seven years, John and I have known each other, which means for seven years, we've actually been working on yeah. Mission Log, which is, uh, which is the better part of a decade. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, it was part of a decade. Hey, um, a decade. Yeah. on the, uh, speaking of the regular Mission Logs, so we are on a break between seasons, between seasons of DS9, because when we were talking about it, uh, we were recording a supplemental that will go out. Uh, other than holidays and STLV, we, we've really not taken just a break since yeah. starting Mission Log in August of 2012. And it actually started well before that because we did demos and we banked some episodes. So, yeah, we, we really didn't uh, just take a break. So we will have a supplemental or two in the meantime. Uh, we'll have that interview coming up, which we will tease here tonight. And then we'll be back to the regular program soon enough. So don't worry. Plenty of Star Trek to go around. Yeah, and it's also, I mean, you, you say we're taking a break, but here we are right now. Well, well, that's just the thing. If you got Mission Log Live, you got Mission Log. You got John and Ken in your lives, or at least one of us uh, in your lives at some point. So, that's true. Yeah. yeah. Also, uh, check for our new podcast, uh, Dog Talk, coming any day on the Rodney. Yes, Network. yes. Duke the Puppy was back in the house today. So, uh, hey, before we... Uh, oh, and Carlos says, is Moonlighting next? And well, yeah, of course, of course. You just, you know, we set that back just a little bit longer, but we'll get there get there. Uh, before we get to that interview with Grisha Phillips, uh, poll question, as we do. Why don't you tell us about last week's poll, Ken? Last week's poll question, section 31, glad to see them. Sorry they came. Um, fairly even, although glad to see them actually edged out. Sorry they came. 54% of participants said that they are glad to see section 31 as part of this season of discovery. 46% said they are sorry to see Section 31, as part of the central plot. Uh, and then this week, uh, John, we have another question. Yeah, release the Kelpians. Because that's what happened. As we, yeah. we, we mess with the uh, uh, sort of the, the, the artificial detriment to their evolution in this week's episode. So I pose a question. Sweet freedom or super predators? What, what, what have we done now with the Kelpians? Sweet freedom, 64% of you taking that very optimistic view of the Kelpians. Super predators, 36% of you say, yeah, super predators. This is, we just opened up a Pandora's box by uh, giving them this ability. Can I tell you really quickly, I have two plot lines that I would love to see happen, both of them involving Emperor Giorgio. Oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Uh, The first one is I want to see them be like Fremen at this point. She's their Paul Moadib, right? And she Uh just leads the Kelpians just like, you know, on a scourge across the galaxy. Yes. Because that could happen. Yeah. Really, though, what I wanted to see was like, like, like when all the Kelpians, you know, go through Baharai or Vaharai, can never Mm -hmm. tell which. When they go through the change, though, and they're all dropping their ganglia. 
Mm-hmm. I really just wanted to see that Section 31 shuttle land and just see Giorgio in the background just picking up ganglia and putting them in, putting them in like a cooler. Oh, that's gross. Because, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a delicacy and one that she has not enjoyed, well, since last season. Yeah. Ooh, ooh. Just a barbecue out there on the beautiful beaches of Kaminar. Yeah. You see, you say, ooh, but I know you're a foodie. Don't knock yeah, it till you I, tried it, mister. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Okay. Hey, I tell you what, let's introduce everybody to Gersha Phillips uh, by way of this interview that is pre-recorded. Uh, as Ken said, it's just a little tease of the full interview that will be out in its audio only format. Yeah. Um, can we go ahead? have a question well no i just want to set the scene really quickly so we had her i want to say for what 45 minutes maybe mm-hmm. yeah and and just a fascinating fascinating conversation i thought because she's got this whole range of things that she does sure we had her on because we wanted to talk about discovery and that work but then we're talking to her and she's like yeah so i was working on black panther and Chung and I are like, what? Oh, I'm sorry, can we, yeah. can we hold on for a second? We'll talk about that a little bit and then we'll move on. So it's really just, honestly, the whole interview is fascinating. Uh, but we found what we think are just a great, uh, a great sort of representative few minutes um, that we wanted to share with you. Sorry to interrupt, John. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. So we're going to ask uh, Earl, technical director, that he is to queue up that video so you guys can all take a look and uh, get an idea of what we talked about. So uh, whenever you are ready, Earl. Roll that footage. I know people are, I mean, because we do a Star Trek podcast, obviously, in a Star Trek show, I know people have to be wondering about the work that you have done on Discovery. I'm curious, uh, your work there, and again, forgive my ignorance, just Starfleet, Starfleet and the Klingons, everything everybody wears, what is sort of your, what, yeah, what of you are we seeing this, on screen? Yeah, at this point, yes, everything I wore, everything, they, everything everybody wears is, is under my sort of hat. And I do have crew that I work with, you know, and I have, um, you know, somebody that's in charge of, of Starfleet, somebody that works with Klingon, somebody that works with everything else. But we, so I have three assistants sort of like dividing the work up so that we can manage it, you know, in terms of getting, producing our costumes and getting it all done. I, I sometimes work with up to three illustrators that we've done in the past just to help with that, facilitate that as well. I can't, my, my illustrations abilities are very limited. I would, it would take me like probably I don't know a year to do the illustrations that Christian does in, in a couple of days he's brilliant and is, and is quite good at what he does and for the caliber of illustrations that we need um, to show you know what my intentions are to the producers the directors and everybody you know there's like I have a list of people that I have to send out my um, illustrations through for approval the process so you know you need to somebody that can articulate that really well in a drawing form and Christian does a great job of that and I feel like um you know we usually we do pretty well it, it's a great system and so yeah I mean when I first started um Suderet was doing um Starfleet and Klingons and I was doing Vulcans at the time um and I would say that, that the Klingons the first set of Klingons are more her than they are me we facilitated we made them we brought them to life she put them on a, you know okay an illustration so it's sort of like with Marvel when you get a concept you know what I mean? So you get a Marvel. And this is one of the things that Ruth was alluding to at, um, when she won. And I mean, I feel like um, a studio will give you a concept drawing and then you bring that to life. And then there's also the, the what she did on, you know, with Marvel is that she um, they had a Black Panther suit, but she wanted to infuse it with more African symbolism. And so she um, 
you know, did another version of it. And that was lucky that they were able to do the two versions. Like I think they had, I think they did more, maybe even three different versions of that suit. But that's the sort of thing that does go on. So there's many different ways of costume designing. And I feel like a lot of Marvel shows and a lot of um, these superhero shows in general, they do have a lot of concept artists that are come on even before costume design comes on. Luckily for me, you know, um, I get to do that part in on Star Trek predominantly ever since, you know, once I took over from Sudorat, it's been predominantly me. Um, and, um, you know, I work very closely with um, uh, the production design team and also uh, prosthetics in coming up with how, with our, with our costumes so that they all work together and it's a cohesive look in the end. So that's kind of really important to me. But um, yeah, it's, it's, it's pretty daunting, but it, it is, uh, um, it, 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 it sort of all gestates from me <laughs> at this point. Can you, know can you mean? help I, us? Can, can you help us to kind of put it into context? Uh, I'm thinking about the scale of the production. Discovery mm -hmm. is clearly a very big, very expensive show. And mm -hmm. there are a lot more costumes and a lot more prosthetics and a lot more effects in every episode than a lot of mm -hmm. other uh, science fiction that we've seen on TV up until mm -hmm. now. And, mm -hmm. You, you know, you're talking about having worked on projects the size of Black Panther and mm -hmm. and being around these. Is the is the scale of this show? I mean, is this is this essentially doing like feature film work on TV, oh. or how would you typify this? I would say definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like we're making little mini movies every every ten days. Um, it's a really large scale, and and um, you know the show is extremely ambitious. And I feel like um, we are doing that level work for sure. You know, I think that, um, you know, obviously more time would be hugely appreciated and, and utilized to the max. But um, we do have, you know, when we're doing bigger bills, luckily they do give us a little bit more and a little bit more heavy time so that we can prepare um, over more than just the 10 days like we may get lucky enough that we'll know something like three episodes ahead or four episodes ahead so we can start working on it you know a little earlier and that really helps um you know even if i haven't actually gotten time to do anything physically on it it's in my brain i've started maybe collecting some reference images for it so i know or or have an idea of where i might be wanting to start and that's even even just that alone helps immensely so. I had a uh, I had a friend argue um, that Discovery costumes, specifically Klingons, but Discovery costumes in general, were sort of made to thwart cosplayers. Now, I doubt that. I don't Maybe. think that's true. I think I think I do think that I remember Brian saying he wanted that he wanted to challenge them. <laughs> oh, okay. So I don't know. I wouldn't say. I mean, I think, and I and one of the things I thought was really interesting is when we did go to Vegas that people were happy that and, and thanked us for reinvigorating you know the, the lineage and, and bringing these great costumes to them to do so i feel like um as much as people say they're difficult to 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 reproduce some people are able to do it and, and i think that's that's the that's that was brian's goal i'm thinking it's just that to give them something more to do something that they had to like try a little harder you know because i think that um some of the, 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 the versions of costumes in the past have been simpler. Obviously not things like the Borg or, you know, other, um, um, say, Romulans and things like that. But definitely, you know, our Star Trek costume, definitely, our disco costume in particular is, is more challenging. But I think that just came about from also necessity of trying to come up with a costume that, that made sense 
for the time it was in. You know, we wanted something that felt more grounded in reality. And then, but also have these other capacities that it could, you know, with these, the, the compression panels or scar life monitoring systems and things like that, that we wanted to add to the costume just to help to give it more functionality. And, and, and um, I think that uh, in the end, it's a really great costume and it's kind of like a great, um, you know, in, in, when you look at our enterprise costume, especially, I think it's a nice blend of um, discovery and also um, TOS. Like the original space. So then what I want to ask you about between the complexity of like the discovery and then um, you get to do the enterprise costumes and you're not doing the exact enterprise costumes. And I'm kind of wondering, well, first of all, I wonder if there was a temptation to put them in, you know, the Jeffrey Hunter Pike, just because that's what people might have expected. And then what is it like to take costumes that are so iconic and and put your spin on them because you see the costumes on Discovery that number one's wearing that Pike's wearing uh, when he first appears and there is absolutely no doubt what they are and at the same time there is no doubt that you have made those co- well not you personally because I know you personally but there's no doubt that somebody has made those costumes and they are what they were and yet they are something completely different yeah I think and I think that was the goal you know I think it's it there, there, there was an update needed in my personal opinion and I feel like um, because we went on the journey of creating the disco costume as, as, as the base of a Starfleet costume, it was really, for me, I thought that, that this new Enterprise costume had to somehow relate to that costume. And I really liked the way, once I started thinking about it, I was like, oh, well, if you put that black collar on, it's almost going to really, you know, it's going to give a nice callback to TOS with the V you know, the V, the mock neck. And I thought, oh, that could be really cool. So when we started playing with it, and by the way, when we did the original Discovery costumes, we did actually do three colors. That's how we started. And the colors, I think the um, the blue and the gold that we now have are some of the, one of the iterations that we started with. So remember, you will be able to hear that full interview in its entirety when we release it into the podcast stream next week. And thank you again to Gersha Phillips for chatting with us. And by the way, a little pat on the back to Earl, to Ken, uh, to Gersha and everybody. Uh, That was the first time we have been able to do a pre-recorded interview in the live show. And, uh, and that was kind of cool, super nice of her to, uh, to agree to do video with us. And we just, we got to chat about all kinds of stuff. And I'm glad we got to work in that question that you had that burning question about uh, the difficulty of disco cosplay. Um, I mean, yeah. like, like if I'm just doing disco cosplay, like I can disco all day long, but Star sure. Trek Discovery cosplay, that's, that's a whole other thing. I got my stacks with goldfish and I'm right over there. I'm Good. ready for like, you know, the yeah. actual disco. Yeah. But yeah, tons of interesting stuff actually. Like, you know, how'd she get started? How would she suggest somebody else get started? What's up with the sneakers on discovery? Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, yeah. John, John champion, uh, yeah. you know, come with the footwear question. So yeah, yeah. it was, a, it was, a, it was a great interview. And uh, yes, that will turn up as a supplemental in the mission log feed. Uh, not this week, but next week. So um yeah, yeah, keep it locked yes. in right here, as they yes. say on terrestrial radio. Hey, so on to tonight's disco, and uh, we're going to do the recap, and then we have some callers standing by, so thank you guys. Cannot wait to get to your comments on this episode. Tonight, it's the Sounds of Thunder, or as Earl says, join me tonight as we relive Saru rising up and saying, get your damn hands off my species, Biff. 
or are they just a bunch of upside down preserver pylons? Ken, the recap, if you would, please. So Culber is not okay. I mean, he's fine, but he's not okay. Physically, he's fine. Better than fine, actually. It's a brand new body. Even that scar he kept, it's gone. The doctor says he's good enough to resume his old life, which raises the question, is there seriously no mental health professional on board Discovery? As for the metaphorically speaking new Saru, he's growing something that looks like teeth in his neck. Gosh, I wonder if that's going to be a thing. Also, the doctor tells Saru that his fear response is apparently being repressed, which Saru already knew, so maybe she should give him $5. That did not lead to an argument. In the captain's ready room, Pike, Burnham, and Tyler are debating the Red Angel. Pike thinks it's good. Tyler's Section 31 thinks it's a threat. Back and forth interrupted by another signal from the Red Angel. It's coming from Saru's homeworld, Kelpia. Okay, it's Kaminar. On the way, Saru reminds everyone of his and the planet's backstory. The Ba'ul are the predators. The Kelpians are the prey. The Federation's actually made contact with the Ba'ul, but they're isolationist, warp-capable, powerful weapons, and a real hankering to be left alone. So why is the Red Angel directing them there? No angels in Kaminar's lore, says Saru, just the great balance, which his people are told is kept by the Ba'ul. Arriving at Kaminar... No surprise, there's no signal. Just missed it. The Bull are not responding to Hales, though they are scanning Discovery's weapons. Tyler's not into the talking thing, and neither is Saru, but for different reasons. His people have been oppressed for centuries by the Ba'ul. Why would Pike trust them? He suggests going to the planet and talking to a village priest. Things get testy, but in the end, it's Burnham and Saru headed to the surface to find out about the signals and the Red Angel, not start a war between the Kelpians and the Ba'ul. On the planet, all's quiet in Saru's old village. That's partly thanks to the Kelpian fear of going out at night, and partly thanks to the all-seeing eye of the Ba'ul, sort of hovering over the village. And every village. Not everybody's inside, though. Why, there's Saru's sister, Sarana, now the village priest. First, she's happy to see her... First, excuse me, she's happy to see Saru. Then she's mad at him for having abandoned them, never letting them know that he was alive. They lived in fear, which is kind of normal for Kelpians, but whatever. Sarana gets angry again when she finds out that Saru's just there to find out about the fiery sign of the Red Angel, not to save her or help her or even see her. This turmoil of inter uh, emotion interrupted by the Ba'ul. They must have seen Burnham and Saru and now they're rattling the whole village. Two to beam up. Back aboard Discovery, the Ba'ul are finally ready to talk. They want Saru. Apparently taking him violates a deal between Starfleet and the Ba'ul. They say they keep the balance, though despite orders to keep quiet, Saru lashes out. Their great balance is a lie, he says. He's made it past Baharai. He's evolved, and the rest of his people should be allowed to do so as well. With that, the Ba'ul send 10 sentry ships to surround Discovery. It's cool, though. They leave when Saru beams himself back down to his village on Kaminar. Almost immediately, though, he's taken by the Ba'ul, along with his sister. We'll get to that in a moment. On Discovery, hey, remember that big red blobby thing that knows everything that caught Discovery a few weeks back, then told Disco everything it knew before it died? 
It's got a lot of info on Kaminar, including the history of the Kelpians and the Ba'ul. Turns out Kelpians used to be the predators on Kaminar and the Ba'ul were the prey. With the roles eventually reversed, well, you can see why the Ba'ul might be a bit touchy about a Kelpian living past his prescribed expiration date. We'll find out more on the Ba'ul ship. When the Ba'ul get rough with Serana, Saru really seems to come full form, shooting surprise spikes out of his neck. Those would be the teeth the doctor mentioned earlier, though they're stopped by the Ba'ul's shield. Saru's figured out their predator-prey reversal, though the Ba'ul says, doesn't matter. The truth will be contained. Then the Ba'ul get rough with Saru's sister again, which is a big mistake. He breaks free of his restraints, breaks her restraints. New plan. They have to upset the great balance, which they'll do with the help of discovery. The big red blobby thing excited Saru's Baharai. What if they pump up that jam planet wide? Start the Baharai for every Kelpian. Seems risky, but there's the plan. And it works, which prompts the bowl to fire up the death ray in every village on Kaminar. Ready. Aim. Red Angel. It stops the death rays, but there's more. It also neutralizes all of the Ba'ul's technology. The evolved Kelpians and the neutralized Ba'ul will need to find a new balance. Though Saru offers to take her aboard Discovery, Serana decides to stay and help them find that. One more thing. When the Red Angel appears, Saru saw it. It's a dude. Or a person, anyway. Mechanized suit, time traveler, technology far beyond that of the Federation. Section 31 thinks whoever it is is a threat. Pike thinks Section 31 is paranoid. Mersey dotes and dozy dotes, and I'll be home for Christmas. The end. Nice. Hey, uh, it's funny. As you were doing that, so many people are, are commenting and speculating, and uh, they've made connections to Armus and, uh, and then the time-traveling guy from uh, Enterprise. It was a plot thread that was there for so long, and then it just wasn't. And uh, even a, a connection back to Amway. So uh, just so much going on in the way of Wow. I know, right? Amway, I don't, I don't know that one. But yeah, Armus, I thought about. And um, yeah, he's a bit more spiky than Armus. He is. He is. But but really interesting. Hey, let's go to our first caller. We have Keith, who has been standing by. So, uh, Keith, what do you got for us tonight? How about this episode? Hey, John, Ken. Nice to talk to you guys again. Thanks, hey, Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Uh, I have to say, uh, despite being a huge Saru fan, I was definitely conflicted after watching this episode, mainly because I am worried I do not want the Red Angel to be part of a temporal Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> and I saw someone else brought it up in the Facebook chat, but I literally was thinking about it the second the episode was over. I'm like, please, no, please, no. I, I had enough of that storyline on Enterprise. We don't need it here. But mm. do you do you have and I don't want you to tell me what you think it is, but do you have a guess as to who the red angel is like, have you been trying to put together the piece in your head? Because Ken, Ken and I, had this I, I, I tried to put, right I'm trying to put show. together the clues as to that. Okay. I'm All probably, right. We'll just leave it there then. We'll just leave it there. Well, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Don't, don't, don't say anything. Here's what I'm actually wondering. And I'd be curious to hear what other people think too, starting with you, Keith and anybody else who wants to chime in. Um, 
the character from the first season that I most identified with, and I think I talked about this last week or two weeks ago, I can't remember which, the character that I most identified with um, in the first season was Saru. And certainly he sort of came into his own a bit towards the end of the first season. I mean, we actually all argued about whether or not he should be captain. Mm-hmm. Um, and certainly he's been a stronger character this season as well. But now that he no longer lives in fear and has to fight his fear, now that he's a guy who used to be afraid, is he as accessible a character or has he, is he now like a superhero in a way because he's super strong. He's got that incredible vision that lets him see the red angel when nobody else has been able to. Is it, is it, is he still, is he still the same character in a way? And you know, anybody can answer. Nobody can. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I know Doug Jones did an interview, I think on the ready room, uh, after show podcast, and he said that uh, he tried to allay some people's fears that he's still going to be the same old Saru. He just won't be. He won't be forced into making wrong decisions out of fear. Mm-hmm. And I personally. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see. Here's the thing. I, I mean, that, that's why you yeah. know, I was partly joking, as we do every week with the poll question, partly joking about that. Uh, yay, freedom or super predators, because this is this is a pretty complex problem to have. We take this entire species who have lived a certain way for generations and apparently thousands of years, and then just suddenly this fear instinct is gone and uh, uh, their entire way of understanding how the universe works is pulled out from under them. Um, and, and I would say that they would have to be pretty peeved at a certain point uh, about everything that has transpired over the last uh, however many years that this has been going on. So, you know, Saru might be cool. Although Saru snapped back at uh, at Pike this week, and I'm pretty intrigued by his uh, uh, newfound truth that he is so anxious to share with everyone. Of course, he didn't really have to because, well, the truth was uh, through Deus Ex Machina <laughs> revealed to everybody. Um, but now the Kelpians have this power, uh, and and they've got maybe a lot of resentment built up. So who knows what is to come next? Who knows how that would actually change someone? But we know that we're following Saru, and Saru is in this new structure that he has adopted under Starfleet. Uh, by the way, one last comment, Ken, uh, for you to say, uh, point out the neck teeth. Uh, that is a uh, terrible nickname uh, that I hope does not get adopted by anybody in Starfleet. Because I can just say, like, hey, uh, who's the, uh, hey, neck teeth, can you, uh, can you look up a thing for me on the computer? Hey, neck teeth, uh, can you make sure that we're not getting invaded? You know, see, here's what I wondered, though. Do those regenerate or is that like a one time deal? Because he had neck teeth that were developing and then he shot them out. And then, of course, they hit the shield. So no good there. And does he get new neck teeth now or is that like, oh, well, that was your one chance. Yeah, well, it, it seemed pretty uh, uh, just a reaction. It didn't seem like something he knew to do because obviously he didn't right. know about those. So it just right. happens. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But does it happen again and again and again? Is the question. Yeah. Hey, Keith, did you have a, did you have anything else that you wanted to uh, you wanted to mention tonight? Well, that's the final, my final thought on it. But I'll let you go. Uh, I'll go. Um, the idea we haven't really had the fact. I mean, he had this change happen, then. We had the episode where 
they're trying to get Tilly back. So we didn't really get a chance. We it's been a couple of weeks, but we really haven't seen him try to really adapt before going right into this. Here you're at your home world, and you have a chance to set your people free. So we don't know how he's actually how he's actually going to react because he's overreacting in this because it is his home world, and he has a chance to change his society for the better. Hopefully. Well, I mean, he's gone, right? Serana is going to stay and she's going to help them do that, but he's still on discovery. It would have been an interesting thing to see them. I mean, not that I want to get rid of Saru, nor do I want to get rid of Doug Jones, but it would have been an interesting thing to see him actually stay for a while and sort of trying to help, you know, guide, mold, what have you. Um, Yeah. I wonder, like, is he now just going to be a sort of like a character who's not afraid, but not taking as much of a lead? Or is he going to have to deal with, you know, he's always reacted in fear and now he doesn't have to react in fear. And so he doesn't actually know how to react, which of course they alluded to in the, in the beginning when he was saying, you know, if, if I don't have my fear, what am I, what, what do I become at that point? Was that a, for this episode kind of thing, or is that going to be a continuing uh, question that he has to ask? Yeah. yeah. Well, it, 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 does this kind of go back to that question, Ken, that you and I were having about uh, paradise? On, on DS9, we, we just got to address that email uh, that will be out the supplemental talking about uh, self-identity, self-actualization. Is this the real, quote-unquote, you out there just uh, because of this new context? Is that any more you than the you that you already were? Well, you know, fortunately, I think Saru's going to stick around. So, yeah, it's true. You know, so we'll be able to find out how he deals with that, uh, that bit of identity crisis in his, uh, in his new skin with neck teeth. With neck teeth. But he said, by the way, this is just his baby neck teeth. Oh, okay. So, so the next one's going to be much bigger. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Well, and Casey yeah. has now coined a new uh, neck teeth coolie. I guess that's going to stick. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's great. You, you don't want John to come back, I guess, is what you're saying. John Cooley. <laughs> you don't want him back around anymore. Hey, Keith, thank you very much for calling in tonight, man. I appreciate it. You're welcome, guys. Thank you. Thanks, man. Hey, by the way, speaking of John, he says, anybody else notice that the Baul nodes and the preserver obelisks share the same design? Yeah, man. I mean, it wasn't just like a, a reference. They, they're, they're identical. They're identical. I, I have no idea what you're talking about. Honestly. I am. A part, of that's, part of that is because, oh, okay. Yes. I'm sorry. Forgive yeah. me. I was looking for the phone number to let other people know how to call in. 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. Or you can use the one tap from your smartphone. Or if you're on the Facebook page, there should be a link right there or information on how to do that right there on the screen. It's interesting that you brought up TOS right before that, John, because this struck me as a very... TOS solution. Yes. Because yes. <laughs> they got, yeah. look, I'm not saying that the way things were between the Baul and the Kelpians um, need, should stay that way. They should not stay that way. Mm-hmm. But, you know, Kirk comes sailing into this. The first thing he's going to do is try to upset that whole balance, right? And can we yeah. talk, by the way, I'm sorry, can we talk really quickly, by the way, about the fact that Starfleet and the Baul apparently had a deal? Well, I, I mentioned that the first time we talked about the the Bolo and the Kelpians, or maybe it was during the short. Um, mm-hmm. It was just like Starfleet meets these Baul, and the Baul are like, uh, "Yeah, here's our deal. We we go eat those people on that planet." Uh, and Starfleet's like, "Yeah, hey, yeah, no problem whatever. With that. Yeah, whatever's good for you." Uh, yeah. yeah. So I, I think to your point, Kirk would show up and and he would engineer 
this same solution. You know, fortunately, we had the Red Angel show up and, and fix everything, but Kirk would definitely engineer this whole thing and, and <laughs> release the, uh, release the Kelpians, uh, as it were. Now, Picard would probably show up and say, what we have to do is talk to the Ba'ul. And right. if that doesn't work, even if they eat a few more Kelpians next, we're going to keep talking to the Ba'ul. Right. We talk they, to them some more. Yeah, they keep eating and then right. we talk to them some more. Yeah. And eventually, either they agree with us or there are no more Kelpians. It's kind of hard to say. <laughs> right, right. Yeah. Uh, so I gave his phone number. We should probably get to somebody who actually used the phone. What do you think? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. All right. So we had Jared. Uh, Jared. Jared, stand up. Hi, guys. Very excited to be here. Hey, Jared. Thank you for calling. Um, I guess. I had things great and small that I wanted to talk about, <clears throat> and you've already been talking a lot about um, Saru's change that he's been going through, and it, it, it kind of the concept of change of these characters and made me realize this week that you know if, if Saru can lose that fear response, if, if they can fundamentally change his character, then they they could fundamentally kill his character and make it stick. And it's the first time that I felt like this show really has what it takes to keep a character dead. So, like, mentally, I'm fighting against that. I don't want to like it. I, I want them to all have their adventures and then still be the characters I love. So mm. it's been very hard for me to get used to. And I wondered what you guys thought about that. Forgive me. Uh, I want to get a little bit of a clarification. When you say possible to kill the character, do you mean change him to such an extent that he's not who he was? Or do you mean they could actually write him off? I mean, both. I mean, I know that they've brought Culber back, so it looks like you've got the revolving door of death. But I feel like they, they're prepared. And, and something that, that was mentioned on a recent episode of Priority One, that that they talked about in communications with CBS, having heard, you know, this character is going to die and that character will do this. So it's possible. Hmm. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't want any character to die, honestly, um, any more than any other character, I suppose. Uh, if Saru had died without realizing his full potential, I think that would have broken my heart at the same time. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, the the problem that I have now is what we talked about last week. There seem to be no stakes in the game anymore. Ash Tyler, who was a double agent and a Klingon, is now standing on board the the bridge of the Enterprise. And Culber, who was dead, is now back. Um, Giorgio, even not the same character, but I mean that actress is now back. So it's I mean it's hard to imagine them ever writing off a character, and I don't want to see it happen, but. At this point, it's also hard to be afraid for anybody because nobody dies. And if they do, they don't stay dead. John? I suppose you're right. And they have also kind of softened Mirror Giorgio to the point where she's more like regular universe Giorgio was. Yeah, I, I really wondered about that because you ended the episode before with that uh, that exchange between Emperor, former Emperor Giorgio and Burnham, where it's, uh, you know, hey, I'm looking out for you. And I, I really wonder how far that's going to go. Um, or do they reverse course and just make her a, a total badass slash psychopath again? <laughs> um, but I, I think part of your question here is, you know, uh, you said something very interesting. You want the characters to be the same characters that you know and love. 
um, but on these you know, new adventures with new experiences. And when I think back about the history of Star Trek, there are certain kind of watershed moments that changed characters, but not to the point that they were unidentifiable. So, um, you know, it took over a decade to get Kirk to the point that, well, he, he had a son and lost a son. Uh, and that, that all happened in a matter of hours. Um, and then you had uh, him lose his best friend and then get his best friend back. But his best friend is a bit different, which leads me to Spock, which is a guy who changed multiple times throughout the series and throughout the movies and then bringing him back for later series and later movies. But, you know, it's a little bit of a subjective call as to say, well, even if that character changed as much as he did or she did in whichever case you want to pick, um, how uh, how identifiable still are they? How, how much are you still invested in that character if they just seem completely different? That was a little bit of my worry with Saru here. You know, I expect a character like Michael Burnham to have an arc partly because we know that this series is built around Michael Burnham and Michael Burnham can't be exactly the same person that we met during the battle of binary stars. Well, because that was a watershed moment for her that changed everything in the presumed course of her life. Um, but when you keep doing that to other characters like Dr. Culber, they has profound moment that changes on this existential level, who they are, then if you if you the audience member feel like you're not watching the same character are you still invested to the same extent i mean is that is that kind of where you are yeah and it's i'm curious as the show plays out to see as characters change how much room viewers will give them to change how much time they'll give for that change to become something interesting to become a, a story worth telling if in one episode Saru switches like a light switch. Oh, I'm not afraid anymore. And now I'm never afraid again. That's very hard. But mm -hmm. if they make that a theme and they, they continue to go after it in the rest of this season, that'll be something that I'm really looking forward to. If you have moments like the one that you had with Pike on the bridge, and I don't want him, I, it's, it's a fine line because you don't want it to just become a thing where every week Saru is going to stand up to Pike and it's going to get tense or whatever. But when Saru was approaching Pike while he was arguing with him about whether or not they could trust the Ba'ul, it seemed a little like, okay, this is edgy. But then when um, Khan dude or whoever it was, one of the guys who sits at one of the, one of the screens all the time, when he stood up and turned around, there, there was more of a sense of menace in that than anything because you got a real sense that we're in completely uncharted territory with this character with these characters we don't know what's going to happen next which i'll be honest with you is an exciting thing to see because so often television just does or you know shows just do what you expect them to do and there was there was a moment there where you do realize you're dealing with a different character and so maybe i don't know we have to stick with it and see what happens right i mean i love saru i have loved saru to this point what happens next is going to be interesting I can't imagine they're going to want to evolve the character into something that nobody's going to like. <laughs> At the same time, I like the fact that it wasn't just the, oh, I no longer fear, and so now I'm fine, and so he becomes just kind of a background character. Now he is dealing with this power that he's never had to deal with before. i got to give props, too, to the writers. Um, my fear, when we brought Culber back, 
was that Culber was going to be fine. I hate everything that has happened to that character, but I love the fact that he he's not fine yet. Assume that he will be at some point, either he will be or he will self-destruct. I don't know which. And whatever happens, it's infinitely more interesting than just he's walking around the ship going, wow, it's weird to be back, but I'm back and everything's cool. I like the fact that he like he was practically jumping at everything that happened because they're going to have to deal with what happened to that character. And they're going to make, sadly, they're going to make the character deal with it because I feel bad for him, even though he's fictitious. Everybody else is going to have to deal with it as well. So we might be looking at a similar thing with Saru, which will be, which will be an interesting thing to watch. At the same time, I'm with you. I hope, I hope I don't lose my love for that character because like I say, he was the one, I know we're all supposed to be watching Burnham, but he was the one I was watching at least through the first season. And I thought one interesting way that they they made that connection back to oh Saru will be okay was um, sonically. I don't know if this was something anyone else pays attention to. I'm sure it, it's out there on the internet. But through most of the episode, I was waiting for Saru to make his standard click noise. You know that that sound that Saru makes when he's he looks at someone or is paying attention, and they. They didn't have him. He he didn't do it through the whole episode, and it added for me to that sense of he's not right. Something's this is something's wrong with Saru, in 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 much the same way it paralleled what Culber was going through. Something's wrong. Something's off. And then at the end, at the end of the episode, when he is with Serana, and they're both safe, the click came in, and for me that was it's okay. Yes, he's different. Yes, we've got that a new attitude. You know, perhaps that'll uh, be a theme in another episode. But he's still Saru. He's still they. They gave me that little sound that helped reassure me. I, I loved it. Yeah, well, and it's certainly not out of the question as a Star Trek theme because we've seen it happen over and over again, where you're presented with this this external change. And usually, you know, a technology, a power, whatever. And then you have to ask, well, okay, is the person who is now on the receiving end of this, Saru, and then Saru's entire species, will they act in a mature, compassionate, uh, humane way with that? So I I think, kind of going back to what I said earlier, I, I think that this is is clearly part of the test here, and we would expect that there would be resentment. We would expect that there would be uh, obviously these sea changes and and what's going on that sea, not a uh, not a sea change as in like a kelp joke. Thank you. Um, <laughs> but uh, uh, how will they deal with this new responsibility that they have? And will their will their belief system change? Sure. Well, it has to. I'm very interested in seeing that because I was very interested in this kind of uh, uh, fundamentalist uh, uh, competition almost between the true believers and the great balance and then Saru with this new knowledge and being so earnest about that, how those things are going to butt heads. Um, Are there people still on Keminar who, who, because they have only grown up with this idea of the great balance that regardless of the new power, regardless of their, their new knowledge of how things work, uh, 
does that belief system still sort of shape their outlook? I don't know. Look, I, I'm building a whole uh, spinoff series in my head right now about the further adventures on Kaminar. Uh, maybe oh, that sounds great. Maybe that'll be the sixth Star Trek series. By the way, uh, uh, the uh, the Culber thing, I have to read this from Aaron Harvey. This is great. Would someone on that show please let Culber tell his own backstory? <laughs> Even when the two are in the same room, we never hear about his relationship or his history from his own mouth. It's always Stamets telling it. Yes, very true. Very true. I like that. Yeah. Ken, you're about to say something. I, I'm sorry. I think we. Oh. I, I I don't know. I got completely sidetracked. I apologize. I don't know why I'm apologizing. I, it's, I'm like a dog with a with like a shiny object over there because apparently that's what dogs like shiny objects in the world. Sure in the lab. Is there a, is there anything else on your mind tonight, Jerry? Well, if you want a sidetrack shiny object, the shoes that the Kelpians wear. My yeah, wife right? and I, the instant we saw those shoes, we had to rewind the scene a couple of times. We couldn't pay attention to anything else. <laughs> it's uh, yeah. You know, it, it's funny. We uh, in our interview with Gersha, we we talk about the uh, the sneaker fetish on disco, but we did not get around to talking about Kelpie and shoes. I think we need to have her back. Yeah. Perfect for next time. <laughs> well, thanks so much. Pleasure to have Thank you calling. you guys. All right. Take care. Uh, 669-900-6833 is the phone number to call. 669-900-6833. We've got about 10 minutes left, and we'd love to have you join us if you would um, if you would like to join us. A uh, quick public service announcement. No Priority One Live tonight. They're still doing a show for this week. So if you're in the habit of downloading the show every Friday, keep that habit because the basically part two of episode 400, which I guess would technically be episode 401 or might even be 402. I don't know where they are exactly. But they went uh, to talk to the good people up at uh, Cryptic Studios, the people behind Star Trek Online, and just did a full day of interviews. And some of those interviews have already hit. Some of those interviews are going to be on this Friday's show, as well as some of their normal stuff as well. So normally we say, stay up late, stay on Facebook, go watch Priority One. You know what? You've been good. Go to bed early. You deserve it. <laughs> but then be sure and download the show uh, when it hits on Friday. Uh, that is Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Best way to find it, by the way, podcast.roddenberry.com. Uh, you go there, you find this show, you find Mission Log, when those guys get around to doing a show. Yeah, really, right? Uh, <laughs> the Trek Files, Women at War, and of course, Priority One, podcast.roddenberry.com. So there was uh, something, that, go ahead. Yeah, I was a funny thing, Ken. Our, our, our discussion has kicked off, uh, uh, of course, a whole other conversation on Facebook here. Uh, people talking about Kelpian shoes and sneakers. Uh, if the shoe fits, someone says, uh, uh, Chris Riker says, I'm surprised they don't nail their shoes to their hooves. Uh, they might. You, you don't know. They could. That could be a thing. Um, and then David says uh, there was also crewman Dax from Star Trek VI, the undiscovered country. No shoes at all. So that guy's just walking around the Enterprise completely barefoot. I think that's a health hazard. So. Never allowed to go into the galley. No, right? Yeah, <laughs> right. He's got a shirt, so he's halfway there. But yeah. no shoes. Well, he can go in, but he doesn't get served. That's the thing. Hey, ha- hashtag uh, Trek shoes. If you have a uh, a favorite that you feel like you need to share with us, uh, or a least favorite, you know. Don't we know somebody? I could swear that we actually know somebody who does that. 
but I can't think of it off the top of my head. But I feel well, like that's about, it. You're thinking about Amy's uh, shoes and starships. Thank you. I am thinking about Amy's st- shoes and starships. That's yeah. right. Hey, tune in. We'll tell you about all kinds of other shows you should pay attention to. <laughs> that's the fun thing. Hey, so rewatching uh, this episode for our show tonight, mm-hmm. there was a line that I thought must resonate with you. And yet, yes, scanning through your notes, I'm surprised not to see it. Okay. Uh, uh, Mr. Bad Boy Baul there says the truth will be contained. Yeah, right. Uh, yeah. Not not like uh, the the truth will be televised. No, the truth will or, be. Or yeah. The truth will set you set you free or anything like that. No, I mean yeah. it seemed to me that that seemed to me that that would be a line that would just be right up your alley because of course he says you know you're the only people who know the truth about this. The truth will be contained. And then, of course, what happens is his entire civilization falls down around his head yeah. because because basically he tried to keep the truth from people. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, look, I, I completely agree with the way that scene played out <laughs> and and completely disagree with the premise that the truth will be contained. Uh, man, see, I can't wait. 15 years from now when we get around to doing discovery on mission log and we mm. get to pick apart this episode and give it the full mission log treatment. Just wait for the full mission log treatment. Um, <laughs> that, that's kind of like the full Riker plus. It, right? it is. Yeah, yeah, exactly yeah. like that. Yeah, th- um, there were a few things. Honestly, there were a few things about this episode that struck me as things that we might have talked about in TNG or TOS. Yeah. Um, first of all, the very Kirkian, you know, Vaharai for everybody. And we'll see how this goes. You know, the hmm. fact that the uh, the predators now are only predators because they were prey at one point. And the people that we've always looked at as, oh, the poor sad put upon things. Yeah, they nearly, you know, hunted their prey, you know, out of existence. And then that came back on them with a vengeance. Yeah. And uh, just just all kinds of stuff there that. um. Yeah, you're right. 15 years from now, boy, oh boy, will we have a conversation. <laughs> oh, yeah. But uh, yes, I, I thought that was a, a great line because it, it represents everything that is wrong with that way of thinking. And uh, as you know, when we come across a moment in uh, our discussions of Star Trek, when uh, when the truth, a capital T, is sort of brushed aside or uh, or we feel like, oh, well, no, it's better if we don't tell the truth in this moment because we're protecting somebody's sensibilities or somebody's uh, history or whatever. No, I, I would definitely uh, very firmly come down on the side as pro-truth in that respect. I have heard that from you a time or two. Yeah. Hey, David, by the way, over on Facebook says, what about Morass? She didn't wear shoes. Did she not? She didn't wear shoes. Yeah. Well, well, he asked what kind. He asked what kind of shoes she wore, but I seem to remember it's just you know it's just her cat feet all over everything. <laughs> not all over everything. It's not like that darn cat. You know, which yeah. There were like you know things on the ceiling and all that stuff. I don't think it was quite that bad. But at but, least Maress had the the decency to not just like jump up and crawl over the consoles and you know true. like get in the way. Like somebody's trying to work on a computer and she's just jump up there and kind of stepping on the keys because how did we not think of that? Yeah, like like yeah. somebody puts like a pencil case up on the con and she just goes over and like knocks it off. <laughs> <laughs> and they put it back up, she just knocks it off again. Kind of, yeah. Yeah. And does she have the fun to take her own, you know, the fur thing, you know, like with the uh-huh. tape on it? Yeah. Does she carry one of those with her everywhere she goes? Yeah. For oh, the next right. person. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 You Boy, th- this is good. It's Mares talk. On yeah. Live. Sadly, it's only about five years too late for our show. Yeah. 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 Exactly. But hey, next uh, time. Let, let's, uh, let, let's bring it back to uh, Discovery talk, shall yeah. we? Yeah. 
Go for it. Um, so the Red Angel. All right. Mm-hmm. I, I have really appreciated the fact that in the first few episodes, when we look at what the Red Angel is doing, where the signals are leading the crew, uh, it, it's all about helping. It's all about them there to solve a problem, to help something. And I, and I wondered if um, in this one, introducing that idea that there's something a little sinister about that. Um, I, I wondered if that will come to play, if there is some uh, some purpose that maybe Pike is overlooking, or do we just go, yeah, you know what, Pike, you're right. Section 31 is being paranoid. Uh, you go where the signal takes you and you help who needs help. Interesting. I wish I had an answer to that question. What is it that makes you think anything the Red Angel is doing is sinister? Is it only Section 31 saying this could be sinister, or did yeah, you see yeah, something I mean, that actually made you think that? No, just honestly, the fact that it came up and uh, but but there is clearly a purpose to what the Red Angel is doing. Again, the Red Angel now we know is a product of technology. It is a it is a being in technology doing something with purpose. Yeah, it's not just a random cosmological event that's driving people to one place or another. But, hey, I guess we'll know all of that in about seven episodes. Do me a favor. Remind me, were you a MASH fan? Were you not a MASH fan? Yeah, I was a MASH fan. Absolutely. The reason I ended my recap with Mersey Dotes and Dozy Dotes is, um, and I'll be home for Christmas. That was, that was Flag. You remember Flag, right? Army Intelligence. Oh, yeah. yes. Yeah. Okay. He would come in. He was constantly right. paranoid. He was convinced yes. that everybody was up to something. Everybody was trying to do something. He was like best buddies with Frank Burns when Frank Burns was still on the show. Right. That's Section 31 to me right now. They're like, we don't know what yeah. this is about. And I understand we don't know what this is about, but they seriously look like flag to me. Just like, yeah. you know, because all, all evidence points to, uh, see, and now you got me thinking about it and I don't want to. Because yeah, no, now, see, cause you know what's going to happen, right? You know what's going to happen. Well, you don't know what's going to happen. I know you don't know what's going to happen. I don't know what's going to happen. happen. Something is going to happen where it's going to look like the Red Angel is trying to do something terrible, but it turns out the Red Angel is not trying to do something terrible. It's trying to leave them better. It's going to look like Section 31 was right, but it's going to turn out Section 31 is wrong. But their hearts were in the right place, and so it's okay. And Mersey Dotes and Dozy Dotes, and I'll be home for Christmas. Your loving son, Queen Victoria. That was the point. Let's go to, let's go to Eric. Back. We've got two minutes to bring in Eric. Um, by, by the way, uh, yeah, Aaron kind of uh, reflects those sentiments. But who in the long run is a red angel helping? You know, we, we don't know. Maybe it's just uh, to get more technology for another red angel suit. Maybe he needs <laughs> a different color angel suit. Eric, Eric, hey, what can you do to help shed some light on our discussion tonight about disco? Well, first of all, I just want to say it's so awesome to talk to you guys. I've been listening to Mission Log for years, and I'm usually gone on Tuesdays, so this is the first time I've ever tuned in live, so I'm kind of stoked. So now I got that out of the way. Well, uh, welcome to the show. Uh, <laughs> it's a pleasure to have you. I'm not sure where you are, but um, it's very dark where you oh, are. Oh, you know what? I'm sorry. I am, I am blind, and I forget about light. So give me one second. Oh, no, no, I apologize how insensitive of me. There we go. No, no. I just uh, thought you were in witness protection. That's <laughs> not, yeah. I'm in section 31. We have to be careful. Ah, okay. Maybe yeah. you definitely can shed some light on this. Well, what's on your mind tonight? We just got a couple of minutes to go and uh, tell us what you think. I'm just loving this season. I love, I liked last season, but I was kind of with, uh, with Ken in that I was like, are we ever going to get to what really feels more like Star Trek? And in this, in this season, I, 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 I'll be the first to admit, I am first and foremost a, a TOS fan and Deep Space Nine fan. So I, did like, I didn't mind the darkness of, 
season one, but I'm really digging this season. It feels so much like uh, original series, and and I really want. I hope we get a Pike show. I'm just loving Captain Pike. <laughs> it is just oh. Um, yeah. I would I would love to see Pikes Enterprise as a show. The only ones yes. that we've heard about so far, I think, are well, there are the two animated series, of course, one for the kids, mm-hmm. one, one not for the kids. There's the Picard series, which is not a spinoff of this. There's a section thirty one spinoff. I oh, would good Lord, I didn't know about that one. I, yeah. yeah. I would I would mm-hmm. love a Pike series. I would love yeah. to to go back to, you know, back to that enterprise with Rebecca Romaine. With uh, with with Ensign Mount and with a young uh, with a young Spock at that point, yeah. not as young as what we saw in the cage, but not as mature as what we saw in TOS. Um, a lot of that has to do with liking Ensign Mount and also with Pike. Honestly, having been my captain, and maybe tied with uh, with Picard. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I I had never heard of. I, mean, I always get his name. Uh, the actor playing. Uh, Christopher Pike. I'm sorry, I always mess up his name, so I don't want to do that here. But I've ne- I had never heard of him before this. So, so uh, 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 you you should have. Uh, John Champion is such a huge Anson Mount fan, and I have yeah. I've been with John when we've been around, you know, big Star Trek celebrities and what have you. But when he had a chance to go over and talk to Anson Mount uh, at last year's STLV, I, it was like seeing 12 year old John Champion. I never saw 12 year old John Champion. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I know that, that is no lie. That is no exaggeration. I, I think he is so cool. And his show, Hell on Wheels, was awesome. Um, I, I could not have been happier when they announced him as Captain Pike. And dude, it's just cool to have a captain that, that we can get behind that I feel like in the history of Star Trek, we had just enough biographical detail to be interested, but not enough to come to it with all this baggage and preconceived notion of who he should be. So yeah. Pike is sort of just absolutely primed to develop stories around yeah, Mount, he, he's just he's got it. You know, he, he's like, look, last season it was all about the bad guy captain and uh, Jason Isaacs. He had it. He had this kind of charisma as that captain. And isn't it just a shame then that we had to kill him off because he was the bad guy? <laughs> so, yeah. I do hope we get to see, because the ending of one of the novels, uh, Drastic Measures, really left it open. I don't know if that's official or not, but, man, it'd be fun to see Lorca Prime. Yeah. That, yeah. That but, uh, that but, yeah, I like Somebody on another podcast brought up the idea of do we put Ensign Mount in the same, like if you have a row of the captains where you've got Patrick Stewart, William Shatner, Avery Brooks, and now do we put uh, Ensign Mount in there at the same, you know, in the same league? Because, I mean, he has played Captain Pike longer than anybody else by far. So at this point. Yeah, yeah you're absolutely right. And the answer is yes. Uh, <laughs> You should be up there in the uh, the captain's panel at next uh, STLV. Hey, Eric, uh, thank you so much for calling into the show. And you, you said you've been listening for a long time. Uh, please, let's make this a regular thing. Hit us up again sometime, all right? Oh, that'd be great. Hey, how do, do you have a forum or something that I've heard people, uh, it'd be really cool to make some Star Trek friends. <laughs> I don't know that many people who, other than, I've got one friend who I can talk Trek with. And other than that. Uh, well, well, look, you, because you are listening to the show, because you called into the show, uh, you're officially one of our Star Trek pals. That, <laughs> that, well, thank a, you. That's the rule. So you're one of our Star Trek pals. Uh, awesome. Facebook, 
Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod. There's a lot of people hanging there chatting and, and definitely cool. taking us to task just on a weekly, sometimes <laughs> daily taking us to task. Uh, but it's all in good fun. It's all because mm. we, we love talking about Trek and we love the exchange of ideas. So go there. And then also at missionlogpodcast.com, uh, definitely a lot of active comments there as well. And uh, look, if you ever make it out to Vegas, uh, come see us at STLV because uh, we just hang out there. Look, daytime, it's hanging out at the table. Nighttime, you'll find Ken uh, very often in an upright position at the Masquerade Bar. <laughs> Nine nice. times out of ten. Nine times out of ten. And yeah, yeah. I'm hoping to keep that going. That would be awesome. I haven't been to Vegas since they closed Star Trek experience because that used to be my – I mean, that was my main reason to go to Vegas. And uh, so, yeah, I really need to do the convention thing. That would be fun. That'd be oh, a yeah. Lot of fun. Come out and see us, man. All right. Well, thank you so much right. for calling in tonight. We'll yeah, thanks for taking the call. All right. All right. Cheers. Yes. All right. Take care. Cheers. Want to let everybody know, oh, two things. First of all, keep your ear out for that. Uh, well, we have a supplemental coming up this week. And then, of course, we have the uh, Gersha Phillips interview next week. In the meantime, letting you know that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment. Executive producer, Rod Roddenberry. Technical production this week. Again, a huge thanks to Earl Green uh, for running the con as well as he does. Uh, be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but also Mission Log Live. Hey. Women at War, Priority One, and the Track Files, podcast.roddenberry.com. Thanks to everybody who joined us live or later, and we will talk to you next week. Podcast.roddenberry.com, the Roddenberry Podcast Network.